This podcast is brought to you by the Eisner Award-winning Legend Comics and Coffee in Omaha, Nebraska, and by listeners like you. Go to TwoHeadedNerd.com and click Donate Now to become a supporter. Hi-ya! Hello, this is Paul Hicks, co-host of the Waiting for Doom podcast, and you are listening to the Two-Headed Nerd podcast with Joe and Matt. Broadcasting from the Ziggurat at Omaha, deep below the metro area, it's our pleasure to welcome you to THN episode 261, where we're talking comics and nerd news for the week of August 17th. My name is Matt Baum. You can find me at Matt Baumstein on the Twitter. And my name is Joe Patrick. You can find me at JoePatrick116 on the Twitter. And of course, you can follow this damn show at Two-Headed Nerd. Although sometimes Joe just tweets as the show from our Twitter. So whatever. Look, 90% of the <laughs> tweets from the Two-Headed Nerd are me. In this week's episode, you're going to hear our reviews of Batgirl and the Birds of Prey, number one, and Supergirl Rebirth, number one. It's all DC from here on out, apparently. After that, we're going to review 10 more of this week's comics faster than we can get extradited back to the Shire homeworld during the ludicrous speed round. Then we'll visit the THN Sanctum Sanctorum where we say farewell to one of our favorite Hollywood robots and discuss a couple of next week's comics. And finally, the Orca is back to tell you how to make money on your comic collection in the most sexually explicit way possible. And not in a good way. For a little segment he calls Take the Money and Run. But before we get this show in gear, let's fire our campaign manager and then hire someone way more racist and inflammatory to jumpstart these downloads after that damn hiatus. I blame the media. And then we can talk about this week's Big News! We got Big News! Marvel's team team, The Runaways, are headed to TV in a deal that will bring them straight to a series on the streaming service Hulu. I thought you said team team. <laughs> Marvel's team team, The Runaways. <laughs> Created by Brian K. Period Vaughn and Adrian Alfona, Runaways is the story of a group of superpowered children and teenagers who go on the run after discovering that their parents are all secretly supervillains. Oh, man. Are you happy about this news? I mean, yeah. I think it's a comic that would lend itself really well to a TV show, but Hulu? Like... How come we can't do this on Netflix with the other stuff? <laughs> you know, that's yeah. what worries me. Is it not tied into anything because it's on Hulu? It's it's, it's unclear. Yeah, it, it's unclear if Runaways is going to be connected to the Marvel Cinematic Universe in the way that Daredevil and Jessica Jones, etc. have been. Hulu is one of Netflix's biggest competitors. Yeah. So continuity between shows is not a sure thing. I don't know, man. I, I, that's just it. I don't, cl- I don't know if I care if it's not connected to the other stuff. But... I mean, it could Agents be a, of S.H.I.E.L.D. and Jessica Jones take place in the same universe. But they're also connected to the movies and stuff like that. Right. That's what I'm saying. But like Netflix and ABC are two different companies. So I, I don't well, see why that would be I a guess, problem. I mean, I guess it's Marvel Studios. So maybe they can all be connected. I don't know. We'll have to see. I'm just saying if it's not, I don't know if I care and just call it whatever. You know, what's right. the point? I think we would be having this concern if it were one of the properties not controlled by Marvel, like X-Men related. Sure. Like Legion is going to be on Fox. Yeah. But this is Marvel Studios, so, I mean, if Marvel Studios says it, it fits, then it fits. I hope so. I hope so. I feel like they've been talking about doing Runaways, a Runaways adaptation literally for years. And, yeah. like, since the early 2000s, yeah, when like the since book the first comic was a came hit, out. I think we're, they and were talking And it was going to be a movie, and then, yeah. you know, it, it kind of died down, and now it's back. And I think a TV show makes a lot of sense, because it's a long, oh, serialized definitely. story. 
And you can do really fun stuff with like little bite-sized chunks and then longer arcs. I just think it's odd that they're not doing it on Netflix with the rest of their sort of, you know, developing TV Diversifying, or whatever. baby. I guess. In other TV news, Big Blue Justice has returned to the airwaves. Almost. The pilot episode of the new live-action tick series hits Amazon Prime this week as part of the streaming service's pilot season, where fans will vote on which one of three pilots they want to see become a full episode. The pilot was written by tick creator Ben Edlund and starred Peter Serafinowitz as the Blue Bomber. Griffin Newman as Arthur and Jackie Earl Haley as the terror. Joe watched it. I didn't have a chance to Joe get into it. What do you think? I thought it was great. I thought it was really good there. You might recall. We talked about this when they announced it was happening. And there was this talk about how it was going to have like a darker. Yeah. Kind of slant to it. Darker in the sense that like it does have moments of seriousness, but not like. The Dark Avenger of the Night, the Tick. <laughs> I mean, it's not <laughs> yeah. like that. It's it's still the Tick. Peter Serafinowicz shows up as the Tick, and everything just f- clicks into place, and it feels right. It feels like the Tick. Great. It was very funny. I thought it was touching. It. If I said to you, man, I really appreciated how the Tick dealt with that very complicated. Uh, topic of mental health. Whoa. Uh, you would be like, what? <laughs> In this version, Arthur is suffering from a number of mental health issues. Yeah, no, we knew that. We talked uh, about the yeah, post traumatic stress for sure. In the preview that and, we yeah, discussed. Right. And any number of other things. And so when all of this stuff starts to happen with supervillains emerging and this guy in a blue costume showing up out of nowhere, right. is he crazy? Is it real? Is it really happening? It's the a different take. Right. Uh, but it's clearly real. The tick is real. It's all it's all there. And uh, it's really wonderful. This is a world where superheroes existed, but uh, they've all kind of gone away because all the villains are are either in prison or dead. Whoopi Goldberg is in it. Oh, uh, briefly as the host of her own show called Whoopi. <laughs> <laughs> OK, <laughs> I really loved it. It was unexpectedly touching. OK. And uh, dramatic. But then it clicks right back into tick mode and it just felt like slipping back into a really comfy sweater. <laughs> so let me ask you this. Does it have a prayer of getting picked up? Like, or what are the other two shows going to be? So the other two shows. I hate when they do stuff like this. I know. It's almost like the nerds can't win. Right, you know? right, right. I wanted to win. I went. I immediately went to Amazon.com slash pilot season is the website. And you vote. You you take this survey. So everybody go vote right now. Just do yeah, it. Yeah, just do it. I don't care if you've seen it or not. Just go, go vote. vote for the tick. Hard for me to vote against JCVD, though. I'll I know, but the tick. I want the tick. I do, too. I do, so too. So bad. I just. I always think it's a dumb way to do this stuff. I do, too. It's just stupid. Um, As far as, like, the acting in the tick, everybody is great. The guy that they got to play Arthur, Griffin Newman, is very good. Very, like, nebbishy. Almost like young Woody Allen. Uh, not in the affectations, but, like... Right, right, right. And he just does a really good job of playing this guy who's not really sure if he's losing it or not. And then <laughs> like he's trying to prove to everybody around him that he's OK. And then the tick shows up and ruins his whole life. Right. And Peter Serafinowicz is outstanding as the tick. Great. Uh, the weird mask kind of bothers me. Like the design yeah, I don't of like the, the tick, way the mask looks. But he plays it so well. He is an he's an outstanding actor. Cool. Uh, so. I want there to be more. I urge everybody to go check it out. You can go watch them on Amazon. 
Vote, vote, vote. It's definitely worth it. It's your right as an American. It is your right as an American. There you go. It's a patriotic thing to do. Finally, some sudden and very sad news for comic book fans. Yeah, I guess I just, I didn't see this coming. I didn't either. <laughs> Nobody did. Invincible co-creator and writer Robert Kirkman has announced that the series will be ending after the upcoming 12-part The End of All Things story arc. The series is scheduled to end with Invincible number 144. Co-created by Kirkman, Corey Walker, and Ryan Otley, Invincible has grown to be one of Image Comics' most stalwart titles alongside The Walking Dead, which was also co-created by Robert Kirkman, in a lengthy letter to fans, the full text of which you can find anywhere else but here. Kirkman said, quote, It's been many years now that Ryan Otley and myself, with occasional help from co-creator Corey Walker, have been chronicling the adventures of Mark Grayson and the many characters that orbit his life. As I began plotting out the issues that lay ahead of us over this next year, I started to realize I was reaching a conclusion. The big Viltramite epic, which began with Nolan Grayson going to Earth and doing some spoilery things I'm not going to mention, was coming to an end. Everything was converging in this one story, and looking back, I realized I'd been working toward this the whole time. In talking it over with Ryan, I learned, much to my surprise, that the idea of drawing something other than Invincible someday and not being stuck in this monthly grind we've been in for well over a decade appealed to him. So it was clear I was riding to a conclusion and Ryan was also drawing to one. I think this, I think this is great. I hate to see Invincible go, but I think there's something to be said for going on the terms of the creator. Yeah. And yeah. I like that. He's like, well, look, I, this is the conclusion. I, I I realized it while it was happening. It's like he's writing the book, but the story is also guiding him. And if this is the end, fine. There's something to be said for that. Too many comics go on for way too long. Right. And in his full letter, he kind of like rails against superhero comics that never end and yeah. never actually change and blah, blah, blah. This dude like built his career on a love of superhero comics and then suddenly flipped the script and started bitching about him yeah. nonstop, which look, I get it. Create your own comics. Definitely support them. I understand, but yeah, he's not wrong. And in his letter, he said that it was, originally it was his, his dream to create a book that he could someday read written and drawn by other creators and it would make him angry. <laughs> <laughs> right, that it would some that it would last long enough to become unrecognizable, which is a weird uh, dream. But there's definitely something to be said for choosing to go out at the top. Yeah, well, of and, your game and letting it run its course. Whereas, I mean, other creators like we're going to talk about Spawn in a little while here. Just keep making it. Just keep farting it out. Just throw someone else on, and here's a new creative team doing whatever. I don't care. Just keep doing it. I'm getting a paycheck. I'm glad that he respects the story and the character. And the readers enough to say, oh, we're done here. Yeah. This is a natural ending and we're done here. And you know what? It's going to be amazing. The end of this is going to be amazing. And I promise you. There's there's a cynical side of me that's thinking this is some sort of long game on Kirkman's part. Might be. Uh, like, yes, it's ending and we'll see you in two years for the Invincible reunion and it's going to be big. Fine. Or... um. When they announced the reboot, the Invincible reboot, and it was not exactly what everyone oh, yeah, seemed, yeah, right? Yeah. Um, this, however, does seem sincere, and I can totally understand the sentiment behind it, and I respect it. I'm going to be sad for the book to go, but I respect it. No, definitely. That is the big news for this week. If you like to discuss these stories or everything else we missed, hit us up over the THM forums in the big news section. 
where Joe and I have decided to end this podcast with a bang as well. We are both going to kill each other live on the air next week. Yeah, it's going to be great. Trust me, the ratings are going to go through the roof. But who's going to We got to get our numbers back up. Who's going <laughs> to upload it? <laughs> Every Sunday, my favorite Viltrumite, <laughs> Joe Patrick, Viltrumite, <laughs> the question of the week in everyone's favorite digital nerd sanctuary, the THN Forums. Joe Patrick, what are we asking the nerds this week? This week's question comes from Lord Stephen Fino, the THN Master of Coin. He asks, quote, now that DC Rebirth is fully underway, what DC character or team would you like to see rebirthed? For the current DCU. Okay. Now I'm going to say this. I don't want to hear about things that we know are already coming. Right. I'm going to go so far as to say that, like, maybe don't waste your time mentioning the JSA or the Legion of Superheroes. Yeah, yeah. They already teased that shit. And nobody that's already got a book. I mean, like, they're like, I wish they would have done it like this. No. A character that has not been rebirthed yet. Yeah. How would you rebirth them? I want to hear a little bit of your plot. Sell it to me. Sell it to me. I'm not. I'm bad at that. So we'll see how that. Now goes. I will say, if you want to do like Hawkman or something, who who's going to be in the GSA? Sure, but he well, we don't know that. Well, they showed a picture of him. I mean, mm, they showed a picture of the old JSA. Oh yeah, I guess that's true. Yeah. Okay, so I mean, but like an individual character or something like that that doesn't have their own book yet. Yeah, yeah. That's right. a, a character that's been gone a while. Yeah. Or, it, like even better, an old concept that hasn't been seen in forever. Yeah, rebirth them. Sonic disruptors, rebirth. You old people you, will understand that. Joke. You have until 5 p.m. Central Standard Time this coming Friday, August 26th, to get us your answer. You can call the Ziggurat Hotline. It's 402-819-4894. And leave us a message. You can even go to our Facebook, and we've got a little button, and you can click it and call us. It's awesome. We do? Yeah, I set it up. Wow. Yeah. Or if you're not busy cleaning up all your rebirthing fluids, you can send us an MP3 to twoheadednerd at gmail.com, but keep it under two minutes or you're going to get cut off. If you call the phone line, you only get two minutes. It's only fair. If you need more time than that, feel free to write your full answer in the question of the week section of the THN web forums. And then tune in next Thursday to hear you and your fellow listeners on the THN answer of the week podcast. It's review time in the ziggurat where Matt and I rebirth all our feelings about two of this week's comics. Matt, clean yourself up. Sorry. Tell me about Supergirl. I made a mess. Girls. <laughs> I'm reviewing Supergirl number one from DC, written by Steve Orlando, with art by Emanuela Lupacino and Ray McCarthy. I believe he's on the colors. 32 pages. I've loved Steve Orlando since I first encountered his writing in the pages of the former New 52's Midnighter. Uh, He also wrote, uh, didn't he write that book Undertow, which I think might be the first thing we ever read from him. Uh, Yeah, actually that did. Yeah, it came out before, but I don't, I remember liking Undertow, but going, that's really weird. I don't know if I need to read more of it. I loved his Midnighter. We also very much enjoyed uh, Virgil, the graphic novel that he wrote. Oh yeah, Virgil was great. Yeah, it was fantastic. Editor's note. You can hear Joe and Matt's review of the Virgil graphic novel on THN episode 225. Supergirl is quite the departure from both the Midnighter, the undersea world of Undertow, and Virgil. But Orlando seems to have a pretty solid handle on the Girl of Steel. With that said, 
There was quite a bit to take in here, and I was left with some questions. Joe Patrick, maybe you can help me out here. How old was Kara in the previous title? 16. They told they say in the issue that she's 16. No, in the previous New 52 book, was she 16? I guess, yeah. I don't think she was. I think they've de-aged her quite a bit. No, she was young. 16? She was young, yes, a teenager. Okay. Was she depowered in the previous title? I don't I don't know what happened to her. Okay, I think that was a holdover. Did and my next question was, did depowering her also de-age the character? I don't think they de-aged her. I, I think she was uh, Always a teenager. I'm pretty sure they de-aged her because she was like working in Metropolis. She like she had like no, a No, I don't well not when I read the book, she wasn't going to school in or anything, but that's she's an alien. She didn't speak any English. Yeah, I thought she was out of high school at least. I don't know. No, she was, was a she teenager. Wor- was she working for the DEO? This is new. This is actually inspired by the TV show. Okay. That was my next question. Are some of these plot choices to bring the character closer to the TV show? Yes. Because like here definitely. all of a sudden she's got like these human parents that work for the DEO. Yeah, they're like her handlers. Yeah, they're like posing as parents or whatever. Mm-hmm. There was a lot of stuff happening. There was just a whole lot to take in. I will say that they they kind of went into it as though it had already been happening. Yes. That's and what confused me. I, I lost track of the previous Supergirl title, so I don't know what happened to her. I don't know about the depowering or any of that stuff. I, I lost track of it as well, because we only really read, I think I read one I read, issue I read, reviewed. I read it for like the first year, and, yeah. then I, and then I dropped off. There was just a lot going on here, and they made it feel like I was supposed to know about it, so I don't know what was a holdover from the last story and what was new. It yeah. just, the whole thing felt kind of overstuffed with unfamiliar characters that had no introductions for new readers, essentially. And bits and pieces of what I, like I said, what I'm guessing are plot points from the last series. It makes me wonder when so many of the other Rebirth titles just hit the ground running, continuity be damned, why did they choose to hang on to some of Supergirl's messy New 52 past? I don't know how much of this is from the New 52. Maybe the depowering. I mean, I, I just, but I like the story and I think Orlando does a great job with Kara's voice and upbeat personality. I thought Lupa Kino or Chino was great on the art here, but she's also not the series artist. Brian Ching is the artist starting with issue one. So yeah, I mean that happened with a lot of the rebirth specials. Okay. Yeah. As far as a rebirth for the character, I'm just not sure where I stand. This was a good issue and it does set a tone and a direction for Kara in the future, but it felt like Orlando was trying to do way too much and left me with just too many questions. I don't know if he's trying to clean up past continuity or introducing a bunch of new stuff in a continuity very suddenly that felt kind of herky-jerky. And then a Kryptonian werewolf shows up. I mean, yeah, I mean, <laughs> you know, they needed to punch something. Whoa. All right. <laughs> Maybe I'm doing it wrong though. I'm going to go I'm going to read the next issue even though I hate the new origin for the Cyborg Superman, which is another remnant of the New 52. Yes, I mean, we've discussed this yeah. before. The New 52 did not get wiped out. No, and I just don't understand why they're holding on to as much as they seem to be for Supergirl uh, yeah. when that series was not a hit. Oh, I mean, it lasted a it lasted. Its numbers were in the toilet, though. I don't know why. Yeah, but it ran for. F- I think it only lasted five as years. long as it did because they knew there was a TV show coming, and they thought that would give it a bump. Regardless, I have to give this a skim. It like I thought it was good. I just didn't think it was great. Yeah, I mean, all your points are fair. I, I do. I do agree. There were definitely some things that were kind of assumed. Yeah. That we'd understand from I just the previous knew. series. But you know what? Green Arrow kind of did that too. Like he has this. He had a. Uh, a sister or a, like an adopted sister 
and a sidekick or whatever that were hanging around in Green Arrow Rebirth that I'd never seen before. Well, we mentioned that too, though, in our review. Where we're um, both like, is that? But I was able to move past it. Right. And you know, I was able to move past it here too. Like well, I, I just kind of went into it. I went into it assuming that I might not understand everything. However, it's Rebirth. Not only is it the launch of the Rebirth Supergirl, it's the prelude setup issue right. to the first issue of the relaunch right. Rebirth Supergirl. And, and they all had those aspects to it. I'm just saying this one felt like it had a little more... It maybe needed to be a little bit more ground zero. Yes. That's uh, what I'm saying. Like, introduce me to this character. Because I'm, I stopped. I yeah. fully stopped. And I need to know who she is, where she's coming from, and like they what didn't she's even, doing. I don't even think they touched on her origin. Not at all. They 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 mentioned, you know, Argo City and... Yeah, the but story starts in there Argo was City no like recap of her origin, no. which is fine. I don't need to rehash 50, 60 year old origins every five minutes. But I mean, they barely skimmed the the notion of like where she's even from. I would also say there's been enough problems with Kara Zor-El's origin or whatever character was Supergirl that maybe you did need to spell that out a little bit to say, look, oh, yeah, that's you fair. are reading this definitive Supergirl. This is her go. And we didn't really get that. And we got a little look at Argo City and stuff, but like some people might not even know what Argo City is. It, 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 yeah, exactly. There was right. They didn't actually explain what Argo City like, was or how it, it survived. Said anything about Krypton or uh, they they did say like in a caption box that it it survived the destruction of Krypton. Okay, but but Argo City is this domed city floating in space. Right. That like rocketed itself off of Krypton just in time. Right. Or, other than saying that it survived Krypton. Yeah. You don't get a sense of like, it, is it still around? You know? Oh no. It's all in flashback. Yeah. yeah they it, they do talk about how Argo city. It does. It's a flashback. Did not survive. But yeah, I mean, the bottom line is I agree. There were some things that maybe needed to be explained a little bit more for the benefit of it being a relaunch. Yeah. Of a book that got canceled like three years ago. This felt like the next issue of the new 52s. Supergirl, kind sure, of, with a twist, and I do appreciate the additions uh, that were inspired by the show. Uh, I like the show a lot, and I don't always like every comic to immediately start adapting the much more popular version. I think it gives the character a an interesting direction, whereas before she was just like Superman's cousin getting into trouble, no, doesn't definitely. understand Earth, definitely somehow a Red Lantern for no reason. I, I liked it, but you're right. It does have some problems. I'm looking forward to the number one and the and seeing the regular artist. Uh, so I'm going to give it a skim it as well. But uh, I think it's got promise. And I like some of the things it set up. But this could have been handled maybe a little bit better. Yeah. And you know what? Hey, lay it on us. I had those questions I have. I'm going to post them in the forums and the lay it on us and the lay it on me section. And somebody that read the new 52. <laughs> the put it on me section. Supergirl. Like, tell me. I need to know. Hit, hit me up with that. I'll put it in there right now so I don't forget. Joe Patrick! Something about Batgirl and the Bop. Batgirl and the Birds of Prey, number one from DC Comics. I wasn't going to review this. It's written by Julie and Shauna Benson. Made you. Yeah. Yeah. I'll get into that. All right. It's art by All Claire right. Rowe, written by Julie and Shauna Benson. Art by Claire Rowe. It's 32 pages, $2.99. Here's your solicit. Who is Oracle? Part one. Someone has stolen the name Oracle right out of Barbara Gordon's past. Hot on this false Oracle's trail, Batgirl, Black Canary, and Huntress are all tracking the same Mafia Capo. So it makes sense to team up, right? Problem is, Barbara and Dinah need the secrets locked up in Oracle's brain, and Helena Bertinelli would rather put a crossbow bolt right through it. Classic Huntress. I guess. 
so here <laughs> it is in this point in the review that I write. <clears throat> Cue the tune from 1999 by Prince. Okay. I was tipsy when I wrote this. Forgive me if it goes astray. <laughs> to Malibu's Deep, I was writing Birds of Prey reviews. And uh, if this is a mess, I apologize. But I had lots of thoughts. I wasn't going to review it because we've been doing a lot of DC books. And I just thought, maybe there's something better to do. Maybe there's something different I could do. But I was a big fan of Birds of Prey. This is a relaunch. This is also reclaiming the Oracle identity, which was like a big deal for us when they washed it away in the new 52. So ultimately I had no choice. So here we are another week, another DC rebirth title, another chance for you to hear me and Matt complain about what we lost when DC decided to reboot in 2011. The birds of prey didn't get erased in the new 52, but they might as well have been because any mention of Barbara Gordon's time as Oracle was stricken from the historical record. This new series, if it wasn't obvious from the solicit I just read restores that history to a certain extent, yet it still embraces the changes that Babs went through after she regained her ability to walk and reclaimed the mantle of Batgirl. This issue picks up directly after the Rebirth special, making you wonder why they didn't just call that issue one and this issue two. It's the reverse problem of Supergirl. But luckily... Whoa. <laughs> yeah, I know. I read the special right before this, so I was not lost. The birds of prey are back together after some time apart and hot on the heels of a made man that may be able to identify the hacker that stole Babs's Oracle identity. Coincidentally, Huntress, AKA Helena Bertinelli, AKA matron from spiral editors note, read Grayson. You fools. That's for Alec Baldwin. Yeah. I don't know if that still counts. It does. Yes. Does it still absolutely. Count? Okay. Uh, and she is after the same man. Writers Julie and Shauna Benson have come to comics from Hollywood where they worked on the CW series, The 100, which I heard is pretty decent, but I've never seen it. They seem to have a good grasp on the comic format here. I know that it's always sometimes a concern when people come from other mediums, other forms of media to write comics. See like Bob Gale's Daredevil, for example. Yeah. <laughs> Charlie Houston's Moon Knight. Yeah. This issue is fast-paced, it's full of action. Tonally, though, it skews a bit toward the Batgirl of Burnside. And this Black Canary is definitely fresh from her stint as the lead vocalist of the rock band that bears her name. While the relationship between the characters felt different than I so fondly remember, there's definitely a history here, and that's the important thing to me, at least. Claire Rowe was one of the artists on Welcome Back by Christopher Sabella, and I am a fan of her style. I think her art maybe stiffens up just a bit in the action sequences, but her panels are detailed, her faces are expressive, and I like her layouts. Alan Pasolacqua's colors are a nice compliment to the art, but there are a couple of moments where the shading is very odd, where like they decide, whoever was responsible for it, decided it's like, and in this one panel out of all the pages in the book, it's going to be real soft shading <laughs> okay <laughs> like faint like faint charcoal pen, like <laughs> but everything else is like hard line blacks <laughs> so it's like it's weird huh the main takeaway here is that while it wasn't quite the same there were still moments where it felt like the birds of prey i remember it's not the book we lost when the new 52 rebooted but i liked this a lot however i am giving this issue a strong skim it not because it wasn't as good as my beloved Chuck Dixon run, but because 
this is essentially number two, and they should have marketed it that way. If you pick up this issue, but not the special, you will be lost because they are meant to be two parts of the same story. I really did like it, but I don't feel like it's a complete story on its own. I, I'm with you here. I kind of felt like, and I know we're hanging on to some aspects of the new 52, but they want to make guys like you and I happy with bringing the Birds of Prey back and bringing Oracle back. And I just don't know if it's going to work with some of these characters and they're the way they are now. You know what I mean? It, there's nothing like violent about it. it. They're not forcing it per se, but it did kind of feel like trying to have your cake and eat it too. And I don't know who they're trying to please with some of this stuff. And I, I think it makes it more difficult if they don't ultimately add more time yes. to the timeline. Yes. Because if we're trying to say that all of this stuff that we lost is back again, but we're still working with that weird five year bullshit. Yeah. It's like, okay, so she was Batgirl and then she got paralyzed and then she was paralyzed for X number of and years. I, I think this problem is most prevalent with a character like Barbara Gordon. Because of or everything any, that's happened. Or to any of the Robins. Like, okay, yeah. there have been how many Robins? Yes. And it's a very, very, very short amount of time. Yeah, that I was Batman Robin has been for operating. three and a half weeks. Right. Yeah. And, and, I think and, it, it becomes very prevalent here, and they have some questions to answer. And I agree. This was a terrible first issue. This was not a number one. This was number two. I mean, no I, doubt about it. I did like it. Yeah, it, it was perfectly, it was fine. But if you were to read the, if you were to be like, number one, cool, it's. Yeah, it's, it's part two it's of an not a good story. number one. I'm giving it a skimming as well for all the same reasons. I want to see where they go with it. And again, part of me is like, oh, good. They're doing this. But I also just I just did not care about the Batgirl of Burnside. I didn't care about Black Canary in a band and stuff like that. And, right. And I don't mean and that's not deal breakers. They can do that stuff. Well, but I, I don't I didn't mean to say that, like, they dwell on that stuff. I just no, meant that, like, in terms of it's still there, the, the way the characters yeah. are kind of presented. Yeah. It's that it's those versions. That was my issue is as well. Hey, 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 ladies. So that is a double skim it for Batgirl and the BOP and for Supergirl Rebirth number one. Now it's time for you, DC's super ladies, to play critic. So head over to the yeah, yeah, ladies night in the ziggurat. I didn't know, even realize big that. time. Head over to the THN forums. .boards.net and tell us what you thought of these hot and sexy lady power comics. It demeans them when you put it that way. They were hot and sexy though. <laughs> They're strong. Yeah. And confident and competent yeah, and capable. True. They own their sexiness or whatever. As you tell me Harley Quinn does whenever she runs around her panties. They're not there to <laughs> they're not there for you for your gaze. Whatever. Your gaze. Listen to this. So Matt, in a poor attempt to explain coming home at seven in the morning to his worried wife, whipped up a story about being robbed by the Shi'ar Imperial Guard while we were actually gambling at the Jack of Hearts' new casino. Allegedly. <laughs> Allegedly. <laughs> well, it just so happens that the Imperial Guard doesn't appreciate Matt's creativity. No the, one does. And the two of us are being extradited to the Shi'ar homeworld to clear this mess up. So Matt, why don't we review 10 more of this week's comics while Gladiator flies us back at hyperspeed during the ludicrous speed round. Ludicrous speed, go! Demonic number one from Image slash Skybound. This is a continuation or maybe a relaunch of Robert Kirkman's 2009 pilot season title of the same name about a cop forced to kill by a demon that's lived inside of him for years. Christopher Sabella is on 
writing duties this time, and his script is creepy, very violent, and it sets up a compelling story. Unfortunately, the art by Nico Walter seems inconsistent with some strange poses and facial expressions, and at other times, just downright hard to follow. I like the story and the design of the character, but wish Walter would simplify his style to be more like the creepy cover. Demonic number one gets a skim it. Super fuckers forever. Number one from IEW. I'm not sure what there is to say about Super Fuckers Forever. If you really love James Kulchalka, you'll love this. If not, you'll find it really puzzling and bizarre. <laughs> I'm happy to see Jack Crack and crew make a return, but your mileage may vary. And honestly, there are moments where I wasn't sure if I should laugh or be offended. Super Fuckers Forever gets a strong skim it. You say your mileage may vary again, I'm getting you a t-shirt. I've only said it two times. That's what I'm saying. Three times, he gets a t-shirt. Kong of Skull Island number two from Boom. Pick this up if for no other reason than to see how beautiful Carlos Magno's art is here. Unfortunately, his incredible art doesn't save James Asmus' long-winded and boring story of the natives training giant gorillas to fight for tribal dominance. I can't stress how amazing Magno's art is here, but this isn't at all where I thought the prequel to King Kong would go. Asmus introduces a ton of characters in very similar tribal garb who use Kongs, there's a bunch of them, for more diplomacy than action. I really hope this isn't the plot of the upcoming movie. I'm the only person in the world that's excited for it. Kong of Skull Island number two was boring and gets a skim it. Backstagers, everyone from Boom! This was a fun little story about the magical world that exists beyond the stage door. James Tynion IV and Ryan Sig present a fun all-ages story with low stakes as the new kid in school struggles to find where he fits in, only to stumble upon the actually supernatural backstage area. Sig's art goes from Steven Universe-style simple to oddly detailed in a way that is kind of creepy. I have to confess, though. I wasn't a drama kid, so while I thought parts of the story were fun, I can't really do this at all, and the art <laughs> gets kind of weird. Backstagers number one gets a skim it. I wouldn't be hanging out with you if you were a drama kid. Suicide <laughs> Squad number one from DC. Superstar artist and guy in charge of something at DC, Jim Lee, shows up to draw the first story here, which sees the Suicide Squad shot into space for a reason, I guess that I missed, so they can re-enter the atmosphere and crash somewhere. As usual, Lee overdraws the hell out of the issue, but that dude cannot draw Killer Croc to save his life! Killer Croc's teeth are on the outside of his face! Same thing happened when he drew Hush, man. God. Killer Croc shoot up in that thing, I was like, what is that? This was just as dark and gritty and borderline nonsensical as the movie, and completely devoid of any characterization other than the most basic, like Boomerang's Australian and dumb and shits his pants. Harley is crazy and now looks exactly like Margot Robbie. Deadshot has a daughter, and the Enchantress That's is crazy canon. and also magic. Deadshot having a daughter and Enchantress I'm being not saying, crazy, that's okay. I'm not saying it's not canon. I'm saying that's all you get. That's right. that. There's your characters. Amanda Waller is a big, beautiful woman again, which is nice, but she's also no better than a mustache-twiddling villain. I honestly wish the movie would have tanked so I could read a good Suicide Squad story. Leave it. Chapter House 2016 Summer Special from Chapter House. Our favorite Canadians are celebrating their one-year anniversary as a publisher with this anthology previewing their lineup of titles. There's a great team-up between Captain Canuck and the pitiful human lizard in the main story. Which we all demanded. Yeah. Plus, several quick looks at a lot of diverse books from superhero and super spy to comedy and fantasy. I'm pretty sure some of these may be reprints from existing books, so I'm giving the Chapter House Summer Special a strong skim it for that reason, but... These guys are putting out great work, and you should definitely check them out. Here we go. 
Spawn kills everyone. Number one from Image. I need to know who asked for this so I can personally kick them in their mouth. Todd McFarlane knows what Spawn fans want, and apparently it's a short cartoon version of Spawn murdering cosplayers after taking a crap complete with onomatopoeia on a splash page. No pun intended. This was unfunny at best and a complete waste of your time and money at worst. I don't know what McFarlane was even thinking here, but it comes off as a bad joke, thinly disguising his own feelings that Spawn should be more famous and have a movie too. Spawn Kills Everyone was trying to be funny, but comes off as a whiny piece of shit. Leave it. Black Hammer number two from Dark Horse. Yikes. Jeff Lemire is a goddamn genius, and he struck again with a fun and dark tale of a group of Silver Age superheroes that have been trapped in a small town for years, held prisoner by some unseen foe, and forced to make a new life together. This is another compelling high concept from Lemire, with beautiful art by Dean Ormston and a mystery that I can't wait to see unfold. Black Hammer gets a huge bias. This guy is writing like seven books a month. It was so good. He's so good at it, too. Briggs Land, number one from Dark Horse. Brian Wood has been one of my favorite comic writers for years now, and here he tells the story of a militia family that has declared the land they live on as a sovereign state. The patriarch is in prison, and his wife is left to run the family, much to the chagrin of some of the good old boys. There's a Sons of Anarchy feel here with more political intrigue, and Matt Chatter's art is perfect for the real-world field. Matt Chatter. <laughs> Love it. Of Wood's script. This is yet another fantastic start for Wood, and I am looking forward to more Briggsland. Buy it. The Fallen, number one from Marvel. In the aftermath of the big death in Civil War II. No spoilers here, friends. I got your back. It was the Hulk. God damn it. <laughs> the survivors that care enough to mourn gather to hear the reading of the will. I can't think of any reason why this couldn't have been a regular priced issue of a certain ongoing series. And is it totally weird that I don't give a shit about what's happening at Marvel right now? Like, at all. I kind of don't either. I don't care. Yeah. The story is just okay, and Mark Bagley is fine here, if not a bit unremarkable. But really, I can't help but think that the whole thing could have been dealt with organically without a $5 special. Honestly, though, like I said, I just don't care. I don't either. It's not like there... I don't mean to say that there aren't individual books that I like. Like, I am enjoying Totally Awesome Hulk. Well, let's stay Let's stay with the Civil War. But I mean, like... I even, don't care about this. Even the death of the Hulk did nothing for me. Yeah. It's just like, oh, that's what they're going to do, huh? All the right. Fallen number one gets to leave it. Is your ludicrous speed round and wham is the onomatopoeia of the week and the sound of a body hitting the floor as seen in the pages of demonic they really let I the bodies hit the floor i yeah. see what you did all right uh that was you, you understand the song the let the yeah the i got it thank you if you want even more reviews of this <laughs> week's comics head over to twoheadednerd.com and check out mr aaron meyer's ludicrous speed reviews turns out he doesn't just shop in dollar bins yeah he steals comics too what? Yeah. He does well not. known shoplifter. Oh. This week in the Sanctum Sanctorum, we've invited several of our droid friends to celebrate the life and times of one of the best. R2D2. R2 passed away earlier this week, and he will definitely be missed. Matt, buddy. You knew that there was a person inside that R2 suit, right? Joe, I mean, it wasn't... Joe, you're interrupting. I, I, I apologize, R5-D4. You were about to read 
some of your fondest memories of the little guy. Matt, Kenny Baker, the actor that played R2-D2, died this week. Droids don't die, or even exist for that matter. Folks, I'm sorry. I didn't know he was going to do this. Everyone here is a dude in a suit. Not IG-88. Yes, Matt, he's a dude too. The guy's name is Paul Klein. So everyone here, you're telling me, is an actor dressed as a droid. Even RoboCop. You know RoboCop was played by Paul Weller, goddammit. You're the only person I know that remembers him in Shakedown. Oh, Sam Elliott. Oh, I love that movie. All right. All right. We're done here. We're done. Guys, thanks. We can't pay any of you. I'm sorry. Matt, why don't we just talk about what we're excited to read next week? Joe, my pick for next week is Northgard, number one, from Chapter House. We were just talking about him. You can read a preview of Northgard, number one, in the Chapter House Summer Special. Hey, written by Jonathan Bryans, with art by Philip Jackson. It's 28 pages for 350. Here's your solicit. While on a field trip to the legendary stones of nature, Boone, Catnip, Klondike, and Quickstep find themselves drawn into an age-old conflict between Willow, the mother of nature, and the vile Spider-Sect Empire. Reluctantly, they are propelled into the fray when Mother Nature bestows to them, I was going to say on them, bestows to them the fabled amulets of nature, granting them astonishing powers. Together, they become Engard. Yeah. Very Canadian. He lots of use I of the it. letter N in when that solicit. When you got that much forestry, you got to write comics. Yeah, about right. Yes. Uh, <laughs> I would say that that was like one of my number one turnoffs. Reading Alpha Flight as a kid was like, oh my God, another fucking nature monster. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, you know, it's that or ice skating, I guess. Yeah. Uh, the it, the preview looked great. It looks great. The art is cool. And I, I absolutely love Captain Canuck. He's not Captain Canuck, though. He's... Oh, wait, maybe that was Captain Canuck. Oh, I'm not saying he's in uh, oh. Northgard. No, okay. he works with them. So, sometimes. But this is my confusion because there is a yes. the lead character of Northgard. Yeah. I was like, is that Captain Canuck? No. Why, does he, why is he acting like he's never put on this costume before? Because that's not him. <laughs> I know, but it looks shockingly simple. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Joe, tell me about your pick for next week. My pick for next week is Atomic Robo and the Temple of Ode. Ode. Ode? There's Odd. only one D. Ode. Ood. Ood. Number one from IDW. Wouldn't that be two O's? <laughs> I know. <laughs> Written by Brian Clevenger with art by Scott Wegener. It's $3.99. It's a comic book. It's standard comic book size. I didn't look up how many pages. Here's your solicit. The year is 1938 and a viral weapon is being developed that will rival even Tesla's lightning weapon designs. Q Atomic Robo, Jack Tarot, Secret Government Agencies, Moon Men, Magic Arctic Circle Elves, Jet Lagged Aliens, Elderly Rights Activists. This is the only ones that I care about. Youngling Laborers and the Manifestation of Human Hope to help save the day. It's a lot going on. Wow. Atomic Robo blows things up in a blast from the past adventure. Whew. We are big fans of Atomic Robo here it's in the Zero. It's always great. I have unfortunately found myself way behind. And I don't remember what series I left off on. And they have had like four or five different volumes since the last time I was up to date. They read quick. You can catch up in no time. Yes, they do. I just need to remember which one I need to read. Fair enough. Um, but this this is a, one of the period pieces. Uh, and so I feel like I can just jump into this. I'm sure. Uh, it takes place back in the 30s when he was running around with that uh, pulp hero, Jack Tarot, which yeah. I love. I'm excited. The THN Trade of the Week goes to Omega Man. The end is here. The trade paperback from DC Comics, written by Tom King with art by Barnaby Bagenda. It's 296 pages for $24.99. Why even bother charging for Seriously, it? Seriously, just give it away. Just give it away. 
Here's your solicit. The Omega Men are back in an all-new series. Well, they were back, and the series is over. They've murdered White yeah. Lantern Kyle Rayner, and now the universe wants them to pay. Who are these intergalactic criminals, and is there more to their actions than meets the eye? This collects the entire 12-issue series that Joe, Patrick, and I loved. <laughs> I feel like this may have actually just been the solicitation for issue number one. Probably. And then they slapped on the sentence about it collecting the 12 issues. I think so. <laughs> I think so. This was sort of Tom King's coming out party for DC in the new you. The, DCU, yeah. The DCU new. <laughs> the DCU you once knew. I don't know. <laughs> but it was fantastic. It was really, really good sci-fi. I hope we get a chance to see King right. Not necessarily even these characters, just more DC cosmic because he was great. This was wonderful. Well, he's DC exclusive Pick now. It so. up. Excuse me, Robo. Any special message for all the kids watching at home? Stay out of trouble. And now it's your turn to tell us what you're excited to read. So hit us up on the forums or hey, head over to our Facebook and share a link to something you think we should be reading. Huh? You can do that. In the meantime, I'm going to apologize to Mr. Weller and beg him to sign my Kyoto Zebek 125th scale battle damage Robocop. It's the one where his helmet's off and his head's all gross with the circuits and stuff. Oh, so realistic. Just don't bother the guy, man. I mean, he's just, he's just trying to work. Folks, you might want to clear the kitties out of the room because it's time to check in with the Orca. Each month, the old man makes the long journey from his home in the woods of Maine to his local podcasting shack, where he shares some comic speculation tips in a segment called Take the Money and Run. I think it's also an outhouse. Yeah, yeah, yeah. he does it while he's on the turbo. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Dual purpose. Hey, nerds. Your old pal Orca is back to give you a little insight to the comic book eBay market in a segment we call Take the Money and Run. We call it Take the Money and Run because of my firm belief that most comic book values are based on very temporary hype. And if you buy your funnies to read and enjoy like I do, then you should take advantage of this craziness and sell those little f- as fast as you can. Lately, all the hype is either around movie characters being cast in their first comic book appearance, spiking on eBay, or it's about some other flash-in-the-pan variant cover or indie comic that suckers out there decide is the flavor of the month. Well, here's a real-world example from our little summer vacation. A rumor hit that Steppenwolf, not Darkseid, will be the villain in the Justice League movie. Well, Steppenwolf, despite somehow being an alien named after a popular rock band at the time, debuted back in New Gods number 7 from 1972. I had that one. I bought it for a little boy that I was told was mine. When I found out he wasn't, I stole all his comic books and hit the road. Little didn't handle it very well. I think a four-year-old would know how important condition is. Well, my copy was probably only in very fine condition. When the news hit, I listed it. I sh** you not, it sold for $151.50 on July 4th. You can see it in the eBay history. Now that everyone's chilled the f*** out on Justice League, since we all know it's going to blow goats, a VF Plus sold yesterday for $75. And don't worry about the little boy, who's a nut job. I'm up joining some weird church and dying in a shootout. 
with ATF agents down in Texas in 1993. I know what you're thinking right now. You're saying, Orca, good for you, you douche canoe. But what can I sell now to fund my online porn habit? Okay, let's start with Runaways, Volume 1, Number 1. It was announced today that the Brian K. Vaughn Marvel Classic has been picked up for a series on Hulu. Not exactly Netflix, but still causing the book to pop up a bit. In Near Mint, this went to $100 immediately. If you have this one, take the money and run. Speaking of teen angst, comics getting shows, Deadly Class, Rick Remender's cool book that just died two or three years ago, also got picked up. This is now a $25 book for number one and more for the whole series. If you've been reading this, it's time to cash out. You can keep reading it, I'm going to, but if you sell issues 1 through 21 for like $100, then you can use that money to buy the next 28 issues, if it lasts that long. If you paid cover price for issues 1 through 21, then you essentially spent $73.50 to read 50 plus issues, which equates to $1.47 per issue. I know that's a lot of math, so I'll slow it down a bit for this next one. Animosity number one from Aftershock. Some of these Aftershock books have been a little underwhelming as they've gone along, but looks like they have a hit here. Very cool concept. If you've already read it, you can flip it for like 12 bucks, take the quick buck, and pre-order issue two. If somehow you grab the one in 10 variant, that's going for like 40 or $50. Take the money and run. Finally, we officially saw the beginning of the end of the comic book speculation wave at San Diego, where again Jim Lee and his love of shiny things was at the center of it. Pulling a trick from his early image days, DC put out a San Diego Comic Con exclusive foil cover of Batman number one. This absolute piece of shit is going for $100 onto eBay. If anyone listening is willing to spend $100 for a shitty Jim Lee Batman drawing on a shiny cover due to its perceived scarceness and collectability, shoot me an email. I've got a big red gum foil wrapper that I just pulled off my that I'll sell you for just 10 bucks. Move quick, though. It's one of a kind. Alas, collectors have forgotten Mr. Lee's history, and thus we are all doomed to repeat it. In the 1990s, foil covers were the tipping point of the hot comic book era. It was all downhill from there. While the orc was in the Netherlands for Tulip Mania, Google it, and I was stateside for the comic book bubble of the early 90s, and I believe we've officially entered that territory. Unless it's a personal favorite, sell all your old comics now. I seriously doubt that you'll ever get more than you will today. And if prices do go up from here, they won't go much higher. I'll keep up the market reports right up until the final death rattle. But you heard it here first. Take the money and run. Sort of break it down like this. That is it. 
For THN episode 261, if you dig shows that are totally on the DC Rebirth take, you can subscribe to this show on iTunes, Stitcher, or TuneIn. And while you're there, leave us your star ratings, your reviews, your thumbs up, because it helps us reach out to other potential listeners. And let me tell you, after that hiatus, we need them. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I don't know. Lost a lot of friends. <laughs> we, you don't know that. You're making that up. Huge, mad, crazy props. I'm not saying that. Thank you to all Why of our not? donors and especially our latest sustaining donor. Another sustaining donor two weeks in a row after a two-month hiatus. Yeah. Seriously, you guys, <laughs> you are making poor decisions Couple with your money. Sucker. <laughs> His name's Kyle, and he's cool. If you want to help support THN, you can do so by clicking our PayPal button at twoheadednerd.com and to become a sustaining member, just like Kyle. Simply check the box that says make this donation monthly when you donate. As little as a dollar a month really helps, guys. It adds up, helps us pay for all the stuff, helps us clear the mole men corpses out of the ziggurat. It's true. And if you're interested in sponsoring THN for business reasons or creative reasons or any reason, shoot us an email with the subject line sponsorship. And I guarantee you spend a dollar a month on a way dumber in this show. If you want to yell at us personally, head over to TwoHeadedNerd.com where you can find links to all of our contact info via Periscope, via Twitter, YouTube, where we just posted the full unedited Christopher Sabella interview. It was great. And there's pictures there, too. I worked on it. Facebook, Tumblr, where we post the outtake of the week. And, of course, the Ziggurat Hotline, 402-819-4894. That is how you get a hold of us. That is how you get to be part of this show and how you answer the question of the week. If you dig the music you hear on the show, you can subscribe to our soundtrack playlist on Spotify. Just open up your Spotify app, search for Matt Bomb. You'll find it right there. It's true. I got a Mexican wrestler mask on. You can't miss me. Before we go, our weekly shout-out goes to THN's second oldest fan next to Keith Lazy Bones Binder. He was there when we recorded episode one, to be fair. Ludicrous Speed Reviews columnist and noted statue guy. He just picked up a really cool man thing this week. Aaron Myers, who celebrated his birthday this past week. Where do you, buddy? Thanks for sticking with us these past five years. Hey, what say you, I don't know, restart a podcast? Remember that? Remember when you used to do that, Myers? Just saying, okay? Until next time, true believers, remember to pre-order your comics or your retailer might just move to another city and totally ditch your podcast. This is a two-headed nerd signing off. You people know who you are. Yeah, be it, look. <laughs> people... People stop podcasting for any number of hey, reasons. Hey, hey, I don't care what the reasons Some are. might be personal. I'm selfish. I want my show back. All right. And what they'll find is just a statue standing where the statue got you high.